Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. God cannot take risks. He knows the end from the beginning. And it's right that Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, speaks of God's purpose as an, quote, eternal purpose. Even though the people who wrote what's known as the Westminster Confession so many hundreds of years ago were just people and not inspired, we think they got it right when they said this about God's purpose. God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel, purpose of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Put more simply, that means that God has written the script. You're not just living your life with one accident following another one, hoping things turn out okay. God has ordained, meaning he's planned what comes to pass. And that comes with a lot of mystery because there's a lot of bad things that come to pass. Yet we cannot deny what Scripture teaches clearly here, and we dare not deny it. God doesn't take risks. God knows what will happen because He ordained it. That's the pillow I sleep on at night. I don't know about you. That's the comfort that we have. God cannot take risks, and you need that comfort to be a faithful Christian because it's also true that you can, and if you're going to be faithful, you have to take risks because you're not God. You don't know the future. Nor do you have a complete power so that when something comes into your life you don't like, you can change it. You can't do that. You don't have the sort of knowledge God does. You don't have the sort of power God does. God has crafted, therefore, this world in such a way that for you to live your life, you have to take risks. Any action you take, you don't know how it will turn out. Even the simplest of actions, driving from one place to another, you're not certain. It's a risk. God could reveal the future to you, and then you wouldn't have to take risks. God hasn't done that, very intentionally. This is why last week Paul wrote to the Philippians, I hope to send Timothy just as soon as I see how it will go with me. Even Paul, a man taken up into the third heavens, a man to whom God spoke very directly, Jesus appeared in heaven and spoke to him and commissioned him. But you have to know that even for Paul, that wasn't an everyday occurrence. Paul last week was making plans that were contingent. In other words, he didn't know what the future might hold. He said, I'm waiting to see how it will go with me. I don't know how it will go with me. But once I know, then I'll send Timothy to you. You, just like Paul and like every human, you have to take risks. Some of us wish that we didn't have to take risks. (laughs) But you're not in charge of that. God's determined that we take risks. Some of us may be risk averse. We want to avoid risks, if at all possible. Anything that seems risky or dangerous that could turn out bad, we try to distance ourselves from that. I suppose that's natural. That makes sense. We don't like bad outcomes. We don't like being embarrassed or hurt. We don't like suffering. So, if some action seems like it could end that way, then we like to avoid it. 
The problem is that it's a fool's errand. If you're going to live a faithful and a fruitful and a fulfilled sort of Christian life, you don't just have to take a risk every now and then. You have to live a life that is quite full of risks for the sake of Christ. You can, in a sort of mythical way, because there's no real safety. You don't know what's going to happen. But you can try to build your life in a safe way, financially, personally, in all of your plans. Protect yourself. Don't put yourself out there so you don't get hurt. Don't develop deep relationships so nobody burns you. You can do that. You're going to have a terrible Christian life. You want to live a rich Christian life, you need to stop swatting away the little flies of risk, and you need to embrace them. You need to receive them in the Lord with all joy. We need to, like Abraham, leave Ur, his home, his kindred, his country, his father's home, and go out to a land that God will show us that we haven't seen yet. That was a risk for Abraham, but he took it, and the rest is history. Many of us, God is calling, all of us, if you're a believer, God is calling you to a very similar sort of risk, to walk in the very same steps of Abraham, even though those steps lead from a place of comfort and home through a desert and to an unknown location. You don't have to go to the Middle East like Abraham did, but you are called by Christ to leave the place of comfort where you feel at least like you have safety and to go out venturing out on the goodness of God in an incredibly risky sort of life. Paul, in this letter, as he moves from Timothy, and we saw last week the emphasis of what he said about Timothy was genuineness. Serve each other genuinely, no false motives. But he's moving now to a second companion of his, and this is Epaphroditus. And if genuine was what defined Timothy, risk is what defines Epaphroditus. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. It is an appeal for you by way of an example to live a risky life. So let's see that in Philippians chapter 2, and we begin in verse 25. I have thought it necessary... To send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Besides the Lord, there are three persons in our text. You have, of course, Epaphroditus. He is being written about. 
Then you also have Paul. He's the one writing about Epaphroditus. And then you have the Philippians. They're the ones being written to about Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus, Paul, Philippians. And in this text, we are told how all three of these groups or persons think about or should think about risk. We have Epaphroditus' attitude toward risk in his own actions. We have Paul's attitude toward risk. He's the one writing about it. And then we have Paul telling the Philippians and us today, this is how you should think about risk. So what we're going to do in this sermon in order to understand this text is just look at those three perspectives. What does Epaphroditus think about risk? What does Paul think about risk? And what do the Philippians or should the Philippians think about risk? All of those are an example to us. The way we think about risk, even if it doesn't look like that, it has to get there. It has to start to look like that. So let's consider those one at a time, and we'll jump around in the text in order to do that. So let's begin here with how Epaphroditus thought about risk. He's the example set before you, a good example of how to think about it. And we could summarize the way he thought about risk with this word. Selfless. Look here at the beginning. I have thought it necessary, Paul writes, to send to you Epaphroditus. For, if you skip over, for he's been longing for you all and he's been distressed. Why? Because you heard that he was ill. Jump down to verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. That risk is a topic of this text, you can see right there in verse 30. He uses the word, risking his life. And he nearly died, Paul says. And this wasn't even just a small risk. It wasn't that he risked a little bit of time. It wasn't that he invested in a certain stock that was a little risky, but if it goes under, he'll be okay. It wasn't a little bit of money. It wasn't a little bit of himself. This was a risk to the utmost. He risked his life, Paul says. So an ultimate risk. If he loses this one, he loses everything in an earthly sense. We're going to see Epaphroditus again when we get to chapter 4. And Paul is going to write, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So when we ask, what kind of a risk did Epaphroditus take where he risked literally his life, that's what he says there, to complete what was lacking in your service to me? What is that? If you take that verse from chapter 4, then you know. What had happened was that the Philippians, way off to the east, knew that Paul was in prison in Rome. And in the ancient prison system of that day, it wasn't expected that the people who imprisoned you would provide your food and your clothing and so forth. Your friends outside of prison had to do that. So different from today. So the Philippians know that he's in prison and they send him a financial gift so that he can just survive while he's there in Rome in prison awaiting trial. So how do they get that gift to him? Epaphroditus. The Philippians send one of their number, Epaphroditus, they give him the money, probably they send a few others with him, one or two others, because it's money, 
And they sent him on this long journey of about a thousand miles. This is two straight months of traveling on land and sea, dangerous in many ways. But he goes from Philippian, from Philippi all the way to Rome, bringing this gift so Paul can survive. That's what Paul means. He completes what was lacking in your service to me because the Philippians weren't there with him. They couldn't help him. So he was completing it by bringing their financial gift to him. During the trip, we learn right here that Epaphroditus caught a sickness. Today, if you get an infection, then you can get antibiotics. But that's a recent development in medical history and certainly was not a possibility in the ancient world. Really, there was very, very little any doctor could do if you got sick in the ancient world. Very little. And sometimes it just hurts you more than it helps you. And so it was commonplace for the sicknesses that for you and me today... Uh, we consider maybe common or harmless. You just rest, eat some soup, and you get through it. But in the ancient world, any of those could kill you, and fairly easily. Mortality rates were very, very high. So Epaphroditus is on his way to Paul, bringing this sum, this financial sum to help him, and on the way, he gets sick with something. Typically, then, you need to rest. That's about all that you can do is rest and wait it out. We don't know this for sure, but what seems to have happened was Epaphroditus was so eager to bring this gift to Paul, who literally needs this financial gift, right? He's so eager to bring it to Paul that he doesn't rest. He continues his journey, perhaps, and in doing that, he gets to a very sick place to where he almost dies, but he arrives, he survives, and Paul gets the gift. So that is the nature of the risk that Epaphroditus took. Just leaving Philippi was already an immense risk. And then pushing through a sickness, if he did that, was another risk. Whatever it was, it was tied to his service. And it was a risk, risking his life. So now we have to, with that in view, ask what was Epaphroditus' view of the risk that he took? And like I said before, the word that summarizes it is selfless. You see this? Verse 26. Paul wants to send him back to Philippi. He does send him. For, here's why, he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. It'd be natural for us to read, he's been distressed because he was almost dead. <laughs> The source of his distress is not that he was on the very cusp of dying from a horrible sickness, but that the Philippians somehow, maybe one of the men who had been accompanying Epaphroditus on the trip, when he gets sick, that guy goes back to Philippi to tell them. And Epaphroditus knows that they know he's sick and almost dead, but they don't know if he survived or not. So of course, they're an anxious. If you've if you've ever had this where there's someone who is sick and you're waiting for news to know, did the surgery go well? Are they recovering? And you don't hear of it for a time? You know that feeling. You're waiting for good news. You're hoping and praying for it. Epaphroditus knows that's what's happening in Philippi. The church feels an anguish over Epaphroditus. For all they know, he's passed away and they will never see his face again. That is what distresses Epaphroditus. If you've ever sat in the sterile doctor's office and been given a very negative diagnosis. 
obviously your first thought is usually, what does this mean for me? And that's natural. You can think that. It's fine. But what's amazing about Epaphroditus is, we don't read about that thought, but at least his second thought quite quickly is, what does this mean for Philippi? How are others responding to this? How is this going to affect them? It's really remarkable. It's very unusual. His mind in probably the greatest affliction of his whole life, near to losing everything, his mind goes where? His mind goes not to pity for himself. His mind goes to other believers, their distress. That's why he was longing for them. He wanted to go back and be with them. So Paul sends him because he wants to reassure them. Paul says, so that you may have joy. He fulfills, in other words, that earlier command of Paul. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Am I going to die? I mean, that's what he could have thought. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, the Philippians. And that's what he's doing, just like Timothy had fulfilled that as well. For Epaphroditus, the pain that the news of his near-death sickness caused mattered, it seems, more to him than the actual near-death sickness. It's a very selfless sort of a risk that he took. It's focused elsewhere on the others. And here you have a sort of first antidote for our own natural tendency to avoid risks as Christians. If Epaphroditus' full focus was on his own health, the pain of the sickness, the difficulty of what he was experiencing, then in the future he'd say, I'm never taking a trip like that again. I'm never putting myself out there to risk in that way. But if his focus the whole time while he's suffering, his focus goes back to others, his love for them, his service to Paul, to fulfill what was lacking in their service to Paul, he risks his life for that sake, then he will take a risk again. Not because he loves it, but because the focus of the risk is not me. It's selfless. It's on others. Here on the Philippians, where he's thinking about them, and on Paul as well. I don't share this with many people, but here we are, so I guess everybody gets to know it now. Look, when I prepare a sermon sit down and I write out a manuscript and I look at it. This isn't healthy or right and don't follow this example and pray for me, I'm working on this. But when I look at this in all genuineness, I look at the message I've prepared and it looks to me like one of the worst sermons I've ever seen. It's not a healthy way to think. I don't know why that's there, but there it is. So I look at it, I see all of the problems. I see that this text is glorious and deserves this great of preaching and explanation, and mine falls quite short of it. So there is a weight there, and it is a risk to preach, therefore, because what if I'm right? But you know what motivates me, that pushes me into the pulpit week after week? Among other things, it's, it's you. I have to keep my focus, I have to intentionally do this, and put my focus on you and know that I don't know how <laughs> the grace of God, the power of His Word, the work of His Holy Spirit overcoming human weakness, and I know that you're benefited by hearing the oracles of God. It's an amazing thing. It, it startles me, really, honestly, but that is a motivation for me. You're the motivation for me. That allows me to do the risky thing in this case. And you all have your own examples. I only know mine, so I share that. But 
Whatever the example is, you want an antidote to that aversion toward riskiness that I, of all people, certainly feel in the work of Christ, then you set your focus on the benefit of others or even the possible benefit of others, and you take the risk. That's what Epaphroditus does. He's focused on the Philippians. He's focused on Paul. That's his interest, not himself. Epaphroditus doesn't mind a risk because he's not really thinking much about the risk. He's focused on the benefits and the well-being of Paul and the Philippians. So it's a selfless risk. That's his view of it. It's also selfless for another reason, because he's not just focused on the Philippians, that's where his mind is, but it's away from himself to them, but it's also away from himself and his mind is fixed on Christ. You can see this sort of in verse 30, when Paul says, he nearly died for what? What did he nearly die for? The work of Christ. Epaphroditus didn't just throw his life away as if he were reckless. I'm not saying go out and do very reckless things. There are bad kinds of risks, okay? Don't, you don't have to do those. But he was risking his life for the work of Christ. What is the work of, what is the of there for? What's the work of Christ? It's the work that pleases Christ. It's the work that Christ is interested in bringing this financial sum to Paul so he could continue preaching and testifying to the gospel. Epaphroditus was focused on his work because it was a work of Christ, and he was willing to die for it. He really shared the attitude of the imprisoned Paul himself. You may remember that before Paul was imprisoned, he was on his way down to Jerusalem. That's where he got arrested, and his friends begged him not to go there, and he said, stop crying and breaking my heart. Quote, I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. None of us loves dying, but it's for the name of the Lord Jesus. It's for the work of Christ. You want a second antidote to your aversion to risk, not wanting to take risks for the sake of Christ? That's it. You focus on others, you think about them, and you take the risk. And if that's not enough to push you, then you focus on Christ. This could give Christ glory. He could use your meager efforts and turn it to his glory. And that is a motivation. That at least was a motivation for Epaphroditus. Look, I know you may not always think this way, and I don't either, but anything you do for the kingdom, anything you do to honor Christ is a work of Christ. That's not just something reserved for those who come up front and lead worship and preach or do teaching or are missionaries out there. It's not just that that's the work of Christ, because think about it, in our text, when he says the work of Christ, what's he talking about? Not his own teaching as a great apostle. He's talking about Epaphroditus taking some money and traveling to bring it to him. That's it. Not very glamorous, gets sick along the way. Thousand miles in the ancient world, traveling, walking, sailing. That's what he did. And Paul says that is the work of Christ. Because it was a work he did in order to please Christ. So, when you share the gospel with your boss on a business trip, when you're just hanging out, 
he may come to Christ, become a zealous Christian, a missionary, or he may fire you. That is a risk you take, but it is a work of Christ. And if your focus is, I could get fired, you'll never do it. If your focus is, he could become a Christian, this could, please, this could be a wonderful thing in the kingdom. I don't know if it will. That's why it's a risk. You don't know that. You do that, it's the work of Christ. You're risking for it. Paphroditus approves. So does God. Or again, there's a church event or some ministry event in town, and you have volunteered to prepare the food. That is a work of Christ, genuinely. It's to support people knowing Christ and loving Christ. But you know what? That's a risk. You could burn the rolls or not have enough food. You didn't order enough food. Everybody's looking over at you. That's a risk. That's why some people won't do it. I get it. It's risky. Or joining a small group. That's a work of Christ. If you join that to invest in people's lives, to help them to grow, but you know what? It's a risk. You could spend years investing in these people only to have them turn on you or the relationship sour or things get complicated. It's a risk, but it is a work of Christ. And Epaphroditus' view of risk is if it's for the work of Christ, I'll do it even unto death. What are you doing for Christ? What is your work of Christ right now? All week long, work of Christ. You fight your sin. If you put sin away, you have a habitual sin you're fighting, you put it to death by the power of the Spirit, that's a risk because you're not going to get the pleasure that that sin was giving you anymore. Are you still going to be happy? It's a risk. Don't know until you go there, do you? Anything you're doing for Christ is a work of Christ. And if you want to do it well, you have to risk Think about Count Zinzendorf, one of the most significant figures in the history of missions. When he was a young man, a very wealthy man, he was touring Europe trying to figure out what to do with his life, and he ends up in a museum, and he sees there a painting, and it is a painting of the Savior with his crown of thorns looking in his languish as he's dying, and underneath was the inscription, all this I have done for you, what are you doing for me? That's not to put some kind of a guilt trip on you. But the point is, there's Jesus risking his life unto death. What risks are you taking right now for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the work of Christ? So that's Epaphroditus' view of risk and should be yours, that it is a selfless thing. It'll help you do it very practically. It's going to help you do it. Get your eyes on others and on Christ. But now we need to move from Epaphroditus to Paul who's writing this because you also see Paul's view of risk. And we could summarize the way Paul thinks of risk like this, realistic. Let me explain that. Verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So those five titles of commendation or titles that Paul usually gives at the end of letters when he's commending different people in the church. All of it taken together simply means, I think very highly of this man. He respects Epaphroditus. As for himself, he's a co-member of the family of God. He's a brother. And he's working together with me for the gospel, fellow worker. And we're 
dangerously working fellow soldier to the utmost. And then as regards the Philippians, he's your messenger, brought not only a message, but also ministered to my need because he brought a financial gift. So he thinks well of him. You can see that very clearly. That all makes sense. But we are a little bit taken aback when we see what he says in verse 27. Indeed, he says, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Now, where did the Apostle Paul of chapter 1 of this letter go? (laughs) You remember when he talked about death in chapter 1? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he said, I'm hard-pressed. He said, my own desire, my preference is to get out of here and be with Christ, for that is far better. He was almost flippant about it, as if it were just almost an equal choice. Stay, die, live, die. I'd rather die, but I'll stay for your sake. So that's very bold in the face of death. So now what do you do with this text? He's in the face of death again. This time it's Epaphroditus near death. And he says, oh, but if Epaphroditus would have died, it would have crushed me. Sorrow upon sorrow. So to Paul, is death a light thing? Like, oh, let it come. Or is it a sorrow on top of his other sorrows that crushes him down? Well, clearly it's Both of those things. You can see here that in Paul's view of risk, if you risk, things will turn out wonderfully in the end. So when he thinks of himself in chapter 1, that's what he's thinking of. Wow, to die, to be with Christ. Wonderful in the end, no problem. So that's why he can be bold in the face of death. But there's another element to this, which is before you get to the end, if you risk, things might not turn out well. There are real griefs, pains, and consequences to the risks that you take. Epaphroditus took a risk in traveling to get to Paul. He almost died. And Paul says, if the outcome of that risk had been he actually died, it would have been crushing to me. It would have added sorrow upon the sorrows that I already feel. The sorrows that Paul already felt You can kind of see in verse 28, he says, I'm the more eager to send him, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Really, the word is less sorrowful. So Paul, with Epaphroditus, is feeling sad for the Philippians because they heard he was sick. That hurts him. They don't know if he's alive. So he sends them, quick, go, tell them. But if Epaphroditus had died, Paul wouldn't say, ah, it's fine when a Christian dies in the Lord. It's nothing. You just, you go right to Jesus. It's actually better. Now, those things may be true, but Paul's attitude is for him in the meantime, before you get to the end, we who stay, there's a sorrow. If you take risks, and if you want to be faithful, you have to, you need to be realistic about what you're doing, or you'll be disoriented by the outcome. Of course, we love the missionary stories that we tell our children, and those are true, and those are beautiful and wonderful, and you know that in those stories, even on earth, they always work out really well, (laughs) you know? Jim Elliot was martyred, but then the tribe came to Christ, okay? So we like those stories, and many times those things happen, but not all the time. 
not in this world all the time. And sometimes the good outcome is very delayed. Sometimes you will take a risk for the work of Christ. You will sign up to feed all these hungry men for a men's breakfast. You're going to do that? And you're going to run out of bacon? And? Bummer. That was a risk that you took, and you feel bad about that. You took that risk for the work of Christ. Or you're going to sign up to be on the worship team, and everybody's going to be sick, and it's on you. You took that risk. The work of Christ. You can't think that, well, you know, I'm doing something risky for Christ, so he's going to come through and make it easy, because I'm doing it for him. He's going to come through in the end. It's going to be great in the end. But in the meantime, if you take risks for the work of Christ, sometimes you're going to get burnt. Sometimes it's going to hurt. If it wasn't that way and it really always turned out great, then they wouldn't be risks anymore, would they be? But God has designed the world in such a way that your faith can be tested and refined by allowing risks to be real risks. So you go on a missions trip, or you invest yourself, you prepare for missions, you're investing your life in that, you're turning away from other business opportunities and things that you could be doing to advance your own cause, and you're fully focused on that, and you're just about to go, and then COVID hits, and now you're staying. You took that risk. And it was pleasing to Christ. You have to be with Paul realistic about the pain that may result from the risks you take. Some will turn out great and you'll rejoice. That's what happens actually in this case. He says, man, I rejoice because Epaphroditus did survive. And now I'm sending him to you so you can rejoice too. Hooray. But God was not obligated to heal Epaphroditus. Most all of the apostles would die violent deaths. God is not obligated to prevent the negative outcomes of the work of Christ. There are martyrs throughout the history of the church who testify to this. God is not obligated if you take a risk for his sake to save you from all embarrassment. God is not obligated if you share the gospel with your coworker to make sure that that coworker doesn't now look at you funny. Might happen. You are taking a real risk. This is very much like in the book of Daniel when we encounter his three young friends in Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know them. They would not bow down to the idol that the king had made in his own image. And the king said, if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And the response of these three men was this. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if he doesn't, he can, but if he doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we still will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Those three young men were realistic about what the consequences of their resistance to this evil king could be. They said, God can save us, but he's not obligated to do it. And so we're taking this risk. That fire may burn us. Now, you know the story of these three men. So, of course, when you're reading it a long time later, you think, 
Tell it to him. <laughs> Tell it to the king. Of course, go on in that fiery furnace that killed the guards who are lighting it so hot. Go do it. But when you're actually in that position, you don't get to see what happens in the next few minutes. You're there, and they are realizing we might be burnt to death. But, they say, we're realistic about this. God doesn't have to deliver us, not immediately. So if he doesn't, we'll wait for what Daniel later talks about as the resurrection of the just. If he doesn't deliver us right now, we're still going to obey him. That is a realistic risk. And you have to be realistic about your risk. Paul is realistic that the death of Epaphroditus would have caused sorrow. That's why Paul says, that God had mercy on him and me. It's mercy because God's not obligated to do it. And in this case, he had that mercy. But in other cases, he doesn't come through in that way. So when you risk, God doesn't have to give you immediate success on earth. So be realistic about your risks. Otherwise, you'll take a risk, might get disappointed, say, I'm never risking again, that hurt. You need to have it in your mind going into the risk this could probably hurt. <laughs> so then when it hurts, you go, oh, yep, I thought it would, and just keep on risking. So we've seen Epaphroditus' view, his very selfless view of risk. You have seen now Paul's realistic view of risking, and that leads us in our conclusion to the way Paul tells the Philippians to think about risk. And we could use the word to summarize it this, honorable, honorable. See verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Briefly, that receive him in the Lord with all joy does show you that just because we're being realistic about risks that could turn out badly, you don't have to become an Eeyore and assume that every risk you take is going to be the worst and everything's going to go horribly. That's just very discouraging. There's a lot of risks you're going to take in the work of Christ that are going to succeed. And here, Paul says, in this case, God had mercy, so receive him with joy. I mean, embrace him. When you share the gospel and somebody doesn't reject you, they actually believe in the gospel, they become a believer, and you start investing in their life and helping them to grow, you don't have to be looking at them skeptically like, when's the pain coming? <laughs> you just receive it with joy. It's a mercy of God. So don't have, realistic doesn't mean skeptical and, ugh, no. But it's not the focus here in this last part with Paul for the Philippians. They should receive him with joy. But here's the focus. He tells them, honor such men and women. Honor them. I think he has to say this for our benefit today too because you would think that risking your life for the work of Christ will always be honored by Christians, but we're complicated. And it's not always that way, sometimes, but not always. We have to be reminded to honor people who take risks for the sake of the gospel. Here's an example. I, I have a friend, his family, they were missionaries overseas, and his father was mentored by a guy named Floyd McClung. Floyd McClung used to be the director of YWAM, Youth with a Mission, missions organization. Floyd McClung, if you know his story, when his family was very young, young children, he uprooted them from America and he went to Kabul, Afghanistan with young children, not a safe place to be, and this was many, many years ago, 
so that he could reach hippies back in the 70s who were leaving the U.S. and ended up out there, burnt out on drugs, and he was welcoming them in, sharing the gospel with them. That was very dangerous, not just for Floyd McClung, but for his family. But as if that weren't enough, a little while later, God moves him, and you know where he ends up? Still with young children, the red light district in Amsterdam. And he ends up buying this old hotel to be his center of ministry, his church, and it's literally squished between a brothel and a church of Satan. I'm not making that up. With young children. Did he receive criticism? You bet he received criticism. Many people consider that sort of activity irresponsible. Think about your family. This is often a hindrance to missions of any sort. Someone may want to go even to dangerous places to bring the gospel where it's not been heard, but they have children. You say, you, gotta, you can't do that to your family. Epaphroditus took a risk that some might think irresponsible, pushing through the sickness, traveling in the ancient world, even ill, getting there near to death. Even some Christians may consider it irresponsible. And you do the work of Christ, and not in a comfortable way, but even in a risky way, and some people will think that you are being financially irresponsible. Don't be financially irresponsible. There's a way to do that. Don't do that, okay? But there's a way to do the work of Christ, and some people will think you're being financially irresponsible. Some people will think that you're being irresponsible with the safety of your family or in any other number of ways once you start taking risks. And so Paul tells the Philippians, and therefore you too, this is the view you have to have of risk. It's not a bad thing. It's not taboo. It's not something you can't touch. He says, honor such men. Risk is honorable. It's to be held in high esteem among Christians, those who risk. Honor such men. It's easy from the sideline to see those taking risks and think, oh, didn't work out. That's not good. Don't do that. That's bad, you know. Paul is saying, but there's an honor to it. Even if it doesn't work out, there's an honor to taking risks for the work of Christ. You have probably heard the most famous paragraph ever spoken by our former president, Theodore Roosevelt, in 1910 but it captures the spirit of what Paul is saying your view of risk should be, even if it's not in a Christian context. Roosevelt said, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or woman who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, we'd say the work of Christ, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best, if it succeeds, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So God bless you, and we honor you, you who are now taking risks for the work of Christ, leading worship, leading small groups, investing in the lives of the people around you, a danger to yourself, considering missions even in dangerous places, giving sacrificially, financially in ways that are uncomfortable and perhaps even jeopardize, jeopardize your financial security. You who are loving people who is difficult to love, who may lash back at you. 
You who are serving in risky ways, you who are sharing the gospel with people who might respond with spit and hostility, God bless you. You are doing the work of Christ. You who are preparing food for events at risk of your own reputation, you who are taking upon yourself anything that may result in your embarrassment or your shame or your suffering, but you're doing it because it's the work of Christ, we honor you. And God honors you. And may God help us to think this way about risk, that it is an honorable thing. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be co-workers, fellow workers, like Paul spoke of Epaphroditus, not observers, fellow workers, working together, making mistakes together, repenting and changing and striving to do better. Please help us to be in the arena, to be like Epaphroditus, not sitting there in Philippi, unwilling to go, but like him, even risking our lives if necessary, that the gospel may advance, whether that's in the front of people, behind the scenes like Epaphroditus' was. I pray for those right now who are in the middle of taking risks for the work of Christ, those who are teaching our Sunday school and preparing and going to publicly speak those who are investing in these relationships with others, those who are sharing the gospel with lost people, those who are loving families that are difficult to love, those who are considering various ways of serving, who put themselves at risk, Lord, I pray you would bless them. I pray that those who've been disappointed in the past by service that has not worked out, risks that have gone awry, I pray that you'd encourage them and rejuvenate them and Put them back into the arena to continue a life of taking risks. I pray it would be your comfort inspiring us and our love for a neighbor and you giving us the courage to look away from ourselves and the weaknesses we sense in ourselves and to just do it, to just take the risk for the sake of your great name, the advance of your gospel and your eternal honor. I pray the outcome of our lives would not be um, that we were safe and suffered little, but instead would be dust on our faces, that we worked hard, that there were oxen in the stalls, though messy, but with the oxen comes much revenue. I pray this would be the outcome of our lives, that we would be risk takers for the work of Christ. It's in His name and for His honor we pray. Amen.